0: Wherever you are on your leadership voyage, it starts here.
1: Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Leadership Voyage, the podcast dedicated to your pursuit of becoming a great leader. My name is Jason Wick, and if you are a longtime listener, thank you so much. If you are Coming back after a break, good to hear from you again. And if you're brand new, welcome to the show. Uh, the website for the show is leadership.voyage. You can email me directly at startyourvoyage at gmail.com. The show's on YouTube at Leadership Voyage. And LinkedIn, you can reach me or you can find the show. I'm Jason Allen Wick on LinkedIn, and the show is Leadership Voyage Podcast. I'm happy to be with you again today for another episode. Uh, This one's actually unique, nothing like uh, anything we've done so far. We'll be getting back to another guest here soon in October. I'm reading a really interesting book. I think you all are going to get a lot out of and speaking with that author here in a couple of weeks in October, like I said but today is going to be a little bit different, something I've never tried before. And uh, before we jump into that, I just want to remind you all that in the show notes, in the episode description, wherever you came from this podcast, you can check out Instacart. I myself use Instacart uh, when I'm in a pinch to get groceries delivered. If you want to get a free delivery on your first order of $35 or more, go ahead and check out that link. It'll let them know that uh, we sent you, and people will hand pick your items for you. You can get groceries from multiple stores in a single order, and sometimes you can get it as fast as an hour, so check that out. If you've not checked it out before, I encourage you to uh, go for it. There's very little to lose. Like I said, the delivery fee is waived on your first order of $35 or more, and uh, have it sent to the convenience of your doorstep. Okay. So I was thinking a little bit about solving problems and solving problems is uh, a very broad uh, description, but more specifically solving a problem or fixing a problem that you're having with your team. And I've been leading teams for quite some time and there's always a challenge, right? Whether it's, something going on with the culture, however we got there, or interpersonal conflict between folks. Uh, Productivity is lagging, and usually that's a lagging indicator of something else. But, um, you know, there's, there's always something, right? There's always something going on with a team. And how can we fix what's going on with our teams? So I wanted to think back to... All of the times I could identify, I mean, not all, I'm sure, but many of the bigger things I have taken on, some of the bigger challenges that I personally have have dealt with. And listen, many of you know me, I'm sure, but but some of you who are listening don't know me at all, right? We've never met, we've never talked, we've never interacted. And so how would you know that I have any credibility in, uh, in fixing problems with teams? But I guess, uh, you know, it's always worth giving it a shot, something new, uh, learning a new model, if you will. And I thought I would share something I kind of deconstructed, I think, is the right way to think about it. I took a variety of challenges I faced, and then I... I looked at what was working in those problem-solving models and and what wasn't, and created a framework. We all love frameworks, right? But remember, frameworks don't solve your problems. We have to apply them. We have to use them in our own contexts. But I I created a framework uh, to address maybe the problems you're having with your team. How do you fix a challenge going on with your team? And I'll be honest with you. This was inspired by a guest from earlier this season. I spoke with Robert Jordan, who is the co-author of Right Leader, Right Time, and they identified four archetypes um, of leaders, and one of them is a fixer. And when I took his, when I took their um, assessment, it identified me predominantly as a fixer, and I do agree with that after I really thought about it. And then I started to look at. Like I just said, I started to look at some of the challenges that I dealt with and and which ones had gone successfully, and I kind of reverse-engineered a framework from there. Now, before I get into that framework, I wanted to run this uh, 90-second clip from my conversation with Robert Jordan because it's really important to remember that some of us may be fixers, okay, and that might mean that we're looking for problems. And I want to provide that big caveat up front here. I'm not encouraging someone who is a fixer. Uh, You can take a quick three-minute assessment. Uh, You can hear that in this interview with Robert Jordan. You can identify maybe as a fixer and then quickly learn that you're wanting to fix things. and, And not everything always needs fixing, okay? But... I wanted to provide a model, since it's a strength of mine, around fixing, but quickly provide the, the warning that I don't think you should be going out looking for problems. Let's focus on the problems that you already see and you've identified, hopefully as objectively as possible, that they are indeed problems. Okay? So that quick uh, caveat and warning. But here's a quick overview of Fixer and some of the stuff I just touched on in the last minute or so about that Fixer mentality.
0: You know, as we're recording this, a a crypto platform called FTX blew up about six seven months ago. The court appointed a CEO. That CEO, was not surprisingly, where was he before FTX? He was at Enron. He mm-hmm. didn't create the mess. He was cleaning it up. That is, that's. That man's mission and in, in life is to go run into burning buildings. That's the definition of fixer.
1: yeah, I was going to say and in this book in your book, it's the fixer. And if I remember correctly, I think you said about about half, maybe a little under half of leaders identify as fixers as their primary or their preferred um, style, if you will. um
0: well we'd say in the exceptional category because it is a level of challenge that it's, it's, it's an adrenaline rush and someone who is wired dominant for fixer, um, fixer style needs, they need crisis. You, you put a fixer into a steady state business to be maintained and they will start breaking things.
1: And that was one of the quotes that I had had written down from the book was something like that. It was, if you put a fixer into the wrong situation, they will break things so that they can fix them. I hope that that's an adequate, uh, I don't know what you want to say, disclaimer. Maybe that's the appropriate way to say it. Uh, I won't overdo it here, but remember the context you're in. Remember where you're strong and remember that we don't need to fix things that don't require fixing. So I'm done with all that. Let's move on. I said, I looked at a bunch of situations I'd been through myself as the leader of a team and thought about, where was the fixing successful? How did I successfully enable some type of fixing with the team? How to fix an issue with the team. And I came up with this with this framework. And one thing you love about frameworks is that they have to have a catchy acronym, don't they? That's just a requirement. So what I've come up with is called the co-op framework. Just the four letters: C-O-O-P. And it's going to be in the show notes. But it's really important here, I think, to try to start simply. Otherwise, you would never possibly remember the framework. And then from there, I'll um, talk a little bit about um, my take on each of these four steps. So the co-op framework, a model for fixing a situation cooperatively. Okay? The first letter C is challenge. Identify your challenge. The second is O, opportunity. Reframe it as an opportunity. Third is options and optimize. List the options you have in front of you and decide what to optimize for. And then the fourth item is the P, which is progress and measure progress. I'm a believer that most things can be quantified. I don't think we need to overdo it and make everything a number, but quantifying things helps put some objective measures in place to try to determine if you think you're on the right track. So once again, very quickly, the co-op framework. Challenge, opportunity, options and optimize, progress and progress. Identify the challenge, reframe it as an opportunity, list the options and decide what to optimize for, and then progress with your decision and measure the progress. Okay, so let's get into each of those four items in the co-op framework. So the first one I think is, is the easiest, assuming that we are indeed looking at a problem, and that is identify the challenge. We do tend to think negatively, I think. We, we focus on problems. What's the problem, right? Sometimes there's a lot of positivity around us, but so many of us are wired to identify the things that need to be improved. That makes sense, right? We want to continue to grow. We want to continue to get better. We want continual improvement mindsets and cultures. But either way, we do tend to focus on the negative. So very first thing, identify the challenge, okay? Let's use a hypothetical here and just say it's two people on the team who are having a big interpersonal Issue, and that is getting in the way of the entire team's culture. So, our challenge here is two people aren't getting along, and it's dragging down the team. Second is frame it, reframe it as an opportunity. And this might be something that maybe some of you kind of roll your eyes at, but I want to talk about something here um, that I think is really important. Two years ago, I read this book called Three Vital Questions. And that book is by uh, David Emerald. The subtitle is Transforming Workplace Drama. I learned about this book through a a leadership group that I was in um, uh, for a couple of years. And this is a really, really important part of the co-op model. Don't roll your eyes at the reframing part here. And let me explain why. We tend to identify a problem. And that's perfectly fine. But here's the issue with folks when they're working on something with a problem mindset. When they're working on something with a problem mindset, it induces anxiety, which then leads to reactive steps. Let me say that again. When people are focusing on something with a problem orientation, it leads to anxiety, which then leads to reactive steps steps. That is not a good loop or a good cycle to get into. It's a really important part of this. So what we do instead is we take that And we reframe our problem orientation to an outcome orientation. This is taken straight from the book, Three Vital Questions. But it's something I really do try to work on with my teams when they're working on goals or identified a challenge that they have. And the outcome orientation leads to passion. The outcome orientation leads to passion and a baby step towards the outcome. That positive cycle is what we want. If we're focused on the problem, we're worried about the problem and we're being reactive. If we're focused on an outcome, it inspires our passion and we produce baby steps in service of the outcome. Both are trying to get to the same place, but the outcome orientation leads to better results. So in our example, two people are having an issue interpersonally, they can't get along. How do we reframe that as an outcome instead of a problem? And I'm kind of winging it here, right? I'm kind of uh, speaking extemporaneously, but it could be something as a first draft. Let's just go with something like, we want a collaborative culture And that's a really generic first draft. I know that's probably not the finished product I would get to. But what we're talking about here is rather than focusing on solving the problem of two people who don't get along, we are reframing it as an outcome orientation where we're talking about two people who want, we want these two folks to be collaborative. We want them to coexist in a culture where we're finding great results because of our collaboration. We're focused on what we want to be. We're focused on that rather than solve this problem, fix this issue. Instead, here's a vision of optimism for the outcome that we want. And I do think that's different. I firmly believe it is different. Now, how do you get to that point? That's a whole other thing, right? It's not as easy as reframing a problem into an outcome and suddenly two people get along. We know that. And that's where we start to get to the third part of the co-op model. And that is list your options and decide what to optimize for. So we want to create collaboration. We want a collaborative relationship. Maybe that's a, a good 1A draft here for this outcome orientation for the what thing we're trying to fix. We want a collaborative relationship between person A and person B. So what are the options we have? That's our third step. Okay. Our goal here is indeed to create a collaborative relationship between these two folks. What are we going to do about it? Start listing all the options. We've got training we could do for people. We've got rapport building between the people. We've got alignment that the leader could create. We've got all kinds of ideas that could come to to this option right now, and we might pursue several of them, but we need to list out what are the things that we can do to make progress towards this outcome and involve the people who are the ones involved, include the people who are involved here. They're going to be instrumental. That's why I say the co-op model here is not a consulting idea. It's how do we fix a situation cooperatively, okay? So come up with all of those ideas for how we want to work towards that outcome. And then we're going to pick which one to optimize for. What in our context suggests that we should focus on option one over option two or option three instead of option four right now? Let's pick one and let's optimize for that. We can do many, but let's focus on one first. After we do that and we choose what we're going to focus on, this is indeed what we're optimizing for. We had a bunch of options. We are optimizing moving forward for this particular tactical item in service of the outcome that we want. Now, number four, progress and measure progress. Once you decide what you're optimizing for, you have to go ahead and move forward and and do what you're saying, right? We have to actually make the decision to indeed implement what we talked about. This whole process might take several weeks, okay? It sounds simple, but as we deliberately meet with folks, come up with those options, decide what to optimize for based on what we're looking at and where we are as, as a team or a set of individuals, we now have to say, and this is don't don't undervalue this, right? Decision making is an act. We now say we are progressing forward, focused on this one item we are optimizing for in service of the outcome that we are trying to reach. And we are going to measure the progress on this item. So let's say that we went through all those ideas and we ended up landing on the one where we're going to build rapport, okay? We're saying we're optimizing for building rapport between these two individuals. What we need to do then is, is say, okay, we're going to do some tactical things to progress. Maybe that's um, an offsite. Maybe that's doing something enjoyable together that isn't work-related. Maybe that's meeting as a group of three with you as the manager and these two folks every week. I, I don't know what it is for you in your context, right? But we need to commit to progressing, and then we have to measure that progress how do we measure that progress? I mean, the, the, one of the goofiest things here I'm just going to come up with on the spot is maybe the number of public conflicts we see between these two people, right? Maybe that's too myopic. Maybe that's short-sighted. I don't know. But I'm, again, I'm thinking extemporaneously. We want to put some time frame in there. So we're going to measure the progress. Maybe we're thinking about over a six-week time period. We're looking at how often these two folks are having public disagreements, And that is how we're seeing whether or not they are building rapport. Now, again, public disagreement. I'm just making that up here on the spot. Disagreements are good, right? We need disagreement to get to positive solutions. That's how we find great, um, valuable uh, end games, if you want to think of it that way, through different perspectives. And conflict is a part of that. But I'm just thinking of something here kind of in the moment. So our challenge To recap, our challenge in this example was two people are really not getting along and it's damaging the team culture. We reframed it as an opportunity. We want a collaborative relationship between these two folks. We listed all of our options uh, and we then optimize for building rapport. We progress by being deliberate in our decision-making have some tactical things we're going to do to try to build rapport. And we've identified that in this case, we're going to see how often they're having um, spats publicly around the team. And that's our metric to measure progress. So I hope that you can take that framework and find a way to apply it maybe to something that you're facing with your team, fixing a challenge that you're facing with your team. Let me know what you think. I've never done anything like this before, uh, created a framework exactly this way. Uh, but I'm curious to see if it resonates with any of you. Let me know what you think. For me, it's worked over the years and I'll continue to evaluate how it's going from my own uh, my own teams and my own work. Uh, yeah, contact uh, reach me at startyourvoyage at gmail.com. Let me know what you think. Uh, and until next time, everybody take care.